Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. It's getting harder for me to find the recording button now. I can't even see the recording button. <laughs> I have to tell you, I've noticed my vision getting much worse too. We're a pair, aren't we? Oh, rec <laughs> At least recording is in progress. So here we go. Another <laughs> podcast with you and me across the coasts. Yeah. And I'm you look very handsome today in your shirt that your daughter got you for Christmas. So those of you who are on Patreon can see Dr. Stu looking super handsome today. Yeah. Look at it. It's even got these thumb things. Aren't they cool? <laughs> They are cool. And that's totally not something I would have expected you to wear. But of course, it's your daughter gave it to you. So good job, Maddie. <laughs> well done. So hi, Bliss. Well done. Hi. From the, uh, I'm, I'm on the East Coast, uh, excuse me, the West Coast of Florida. I'm Again. recording from St. Petersburg, Florida. I just finished my time up in Jacksonville, which was a makeup uh, seminar. Lovely time, by the way, with the midwives from um, Belladonna Midwifery and the La Vida Bella Birth Center in Jacksonville. I want to shout out to Michelle and Rhonda and all the other lovely ladies that hosted me there. It was Why was there. it a makeup? It's a makeup because I was there last year in April, and the first day I was there, I had a retinal detachment. <laughs> oh, and you had your eye thing. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we decided we were really going to refund everybody or they or, or just reschedule. And, and um, nine out of 10 percent, you know, 90 percent of women, the the mom, I mean, the women, the midwives wanted to reschedule. So we just rescheduled and I came out uh, and and did it. And, it. and it was great. And we got so busy talking that we threw my whole schedule off. You know how I am when my schedule is thrown off, too. It's like so we ended up changing things around and. It all still worked out. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> just like the babies. It just works out. <laughs> it just does work out. It really is nice that it works out. So thank you to them. Yeah. And speaking of that, were you and I are um, planning um, a reteach breach conference, not conference, but workshop here in uh, San Inez Valley, um, the third weekend of March. We're working on that right now. So any of you who can plan to come, Dr. Stu and I will both be there, which is fun because I often am not together with you when you do these. So that'll be cool. Yeah, that just came out of no, uh, came out of left field yesterday or the day before yesterday. You just said, let's do it. And we happen to have an opening then. So uh, that, that I'm just excited to come back to California and do that. So hopefully people that want to say hello to me while I'm back in California, I'll probably come back for more than just those few days. I'll probably hang around Los Angeles and visit with my kids and stuff at, at that time too. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to get a couple of doctors to come, by the way. Well, that would be a huge bonus. I know. I'm working yeah. on it. I'm working on it. Right. Okay. I mean, I just, if I was a physician, even if I wasn't going to do it, why wouldn't I want to get some CMEs or something in something that might save a life sometime? Right. That, you, that might do something good. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's an answer to that question. I'm not going to even go there because everybody knows where I'm going with that question. Is uh, you know, it's just they aren't interested for whatever reasons that we've talked about many times on the podcast. They're just not intellectually curious or financially curious or getting out of their 
rut curious or they can't fight the system anyway curious or whatever yeah. curiousness there is. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of getting out of the system and stuff like that and and the legal aspects of reach, I just have to tell you, I rented a car up in North Carolina and I drove down here. It took, I stopped in Hilton Head, South Carolina for a day. I went for a walk. The weather hasn't been great. It's been in the 50s, but you know, for the rest of the country, that's probably sounds pretty good right now. Yeah. Um, but when I was driving into Tampa, I noticed something that I, I've, you know, you notice once in a while in Los Angeles, but every freaking billboard is for attorneys. Mm. When you drive or into Tampa, surgery. <laughs> no, just attorneys. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there must have been at least 10 billboards for attorneys in Tampa. So what is going on in Tampa? Anybody know something? Send me a direct message. Let me know. Is Florida more litigious than other states? Is it the the legal billboard capital of the world? But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was so obvious. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Right. So maybe you and I should get a billboard. And, and what would it say? You know what I want, would we You know what I wanted to do once, just when I was pissed at Cedars. I wanted to get a billboard in right look within a few blocks of Cedars. There were some billboards, and I wanted to get one that said, "Breach vaginal delivery is an option." <laughs> ask your ask your doctor. Love it. Yeah, just to put it right outside of Cedars because they weren't, you know, they they were making making it. And I, I'm not picking on Cedars. Cedars was just my hospital at the time that was giving everybody a hard time about things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wanted to. I just wanted. I thought about it, like just. You know, what could I do to like? <laughs> <laughs> no, not you. Well, um, I it's about probably about 50 degrees here in Santa Barbara, too. Weather's not super sunny, but that's OK. I don't expect life to be sunny every day. It's a good contrast. Um, and I think maybe it's going to rain, which I really love. And um, I'm waiting on babies. Babies, 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 babies. I have four babies I'm waiting on. So um, at some point, like I said last week, I'm going to have a bunch of birth stories for y'all. But right now, it's the waiting game. Well, I would tell you that most people listening to us right now are waiting on babies one way or the other. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm in they good are. company. <laughs> so I should say to all of you who are waiting on babies, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and of course, good middle of the night. <laughs> Um, so, so of course, Stu's got a couple of things he wants to chat about, but, um, I am going to answer, uh, uh, one of our followers questions about prenatal visits. And she was saying, my midwife only, only talks to me for 15 to 20 minutes. So what in the world do you talk about for an hour? So that's what I'm going to go over today. And then, um, in our bonus content for our VIP Patreon people, um, we're going to be talking with one of my good friends, Tanya, who um, is a midwife up here. And um, she had a really interesting presentation the other day. Um, so we're going to we're going to get into that over on Patreon. So join us over there for that that chat. OK, a little bit of follow up on cervix stuff, because. Couple podcasts ago, we talked about cervix is insufficient, but it, incompetence is everywhere. Was the name of the podcast. And speaking of incompetence everywhere, I got a, I got my ACOG. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I got my ACOG immunization uh, letter from January of 2024. It's a newsletter that comes out. Um, and why and are you laughing? 
because I'm back picking on ACOG again. I can't, oh. <laughs> it, they're such easy pickings. They're such low-hanging fruit. It's just really hard. Okay. But did you know uh -huh. that January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month? I did, I did not know that. <laughs> we do this. I do this to you about every three three or four podcasts. I, I read to you some new uh, new event. Yes. As we observe Cervical Cancer Awareness Month in January, a critical component of reducing gynecologic cancer morbidity and mortality is early detection and prevention. That's true. Please take some time this month to consider how you can educate your patients, this is for the doctors, about gynecologic cancers and spread awareness in your community to help reduce risk. What do you think the one thing that the ACOG is going to recommend that helps reduce risk, Bliss? Vaccination. Shocking. <laughs> because, yeah. of di because different strains of HPV are linked to most cervical cancers, genital warts, and some rare forms of cancer, ACOG and other organizations, like what? Like who? Well, the CDC, for one. Um, urge healthcare professionals to quote, strongly recommend the HPV vaccination to eligible patients and stress the benefits and safety of the HPV vaccine. Nope. Bliss, this is <laughs> nope. a true, true false question. The HPV vaccine has been tested in a randomized placebo controlled trial for safety. False. Gosh. Ding, ding. You're so smart. Okay. I listened to last week's podcast. But listen to this. Mm-hmm. ACOG and the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, what's called ACIP, recommend routine HPV vaccination for all adolescents at the target ages of 11 to 12 years of, as part of the adolescent immunization platform to reduce the incidence of anal genital cancer and genital warts associated with HPV infection. Well, isn't that great? But here's a question. Why are you targeting 11-year-olds? Yeah, because HPV, it's HPV is a what type of disease? Sexually transmitted. Okay, so in a world right now where we're trying to sexualize children more than more than I've ever seen, why are we tar giving this vaccine to somebody who's eleven years old? Are we presuming that that eleven year old will be experimenting in like what third grade and be having sex behind the bleachers? With who is a good question, by the way. <laughs> Don't even want to go there. Okay. No. Um, no. I mean, it's the same reason why we're giving uh, newborn babies Hep B. I mean, that doesn't make any sense unless well, someone a, in their life yeah, has Hep B. They're they're both they're both stupid, but I think Hep B is is you know takes the cake on stupidity there. Yeah. All right, but it says here as part of the um, oh. While the ideal age for HPV vaccination is 11 or 12 years, people of all gender identities can get the vaccine starting at age 9 through age 26. And for some adults aged 27 to 45 years who are previously unvaccinated, OBGYNs and other healthcare professionals may use shared clinical decision-making regarding HPV vaccination, considering a patient's risk for acquisition of a new HPV infection and whether the HPV vaccine may provide benefit. When they say shared um, decision-making, mm -hmm. that's not what they mean. What they mean is we will counsel you, you will take the vaccine, or we must have counseled you wrong because we've been through this before on the podcast. They actually literally say that 
when they talked about um, the DTaP vaccine and probably the COVID vaccine as well. But the question, first of all, we talked about this, and I'm not going to get into it again because I just a podcast or two. I talked about uh, Mary Holland's book, um, the HPV vaccine on trial. Uh, it's one of the worst vaccines probably ever made. And again, it was from what I remember, it was safety tested uh, for five months. And based on the five months that they safety tested it, they said they marketed it as preventing cervical cancer. And everybody knows who knows anything that cervical cancer takes five to 10 years to develop after exposure on the rare cases where it does proceed. Most HPV infections will be resolved spontaneously by your own immune system if left to its uh, own business and, and not hindered by other things that affect your immune system. But for those that progress, so how can you say after five months that it prevents cervical cancer when it takes five to 10 years to do that? You cannot. They lied. They're continuing to lie. And now they, they're continuing to, to call this you know, uh, Cancer Awareness Month so that they can then propagandize some more and give it to 11-year-olds. Um, 11-year-olds. Right. So read the package insert, find out what's in it, use the package insert because it's cold outside to start the fire in your fireplace and move on. But I would strongly recommend against this vaccine. Yeah. And, I, you know, if you're if if that's not enough information for you, go watch Vaxxed too. And they do actual interviews with family members whose children were teenage children were totally healthy and then became either dead or um, invalids, like they're unable to um, care for themselves. So absolutely um, inform yourself about that one. Okay. All right. Um, this is an interesting letter, if I may. May I? Yeah. Okay. Of course. Mother, may I? <laughs> um, this is from Summer. And Summer is an OBGYN. So I, 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 whenever I get a letter from another doctor, um, I always respond to them. But if I can read it on the podcast, if it's relevant, and this one is pretty, pretty good. Um, so this is a, I, I summarize this one by saying challenging the status quo. She says, greetings, Dr. Stu and Bliss. Just Bliss, by the way. <laughs> I received your video greeting from the Breach Conference via my friend and colleague, Kim Wallace. I cannot thank you enough for this podcast. Your work gives me breath when I feel challenged by the red tape of practicing medicine in this country. So much of what you touch on speaks to me as a patient and as a physician. I've been meaning to write since the uterine fibroid episode. So that's been a while since we did the fibroid episode. Mm -hmm. This letter is dated uh, Monday, December 11th. So it's been a couple of months. A little background on me. I'm an OBGYN now, almost 10 years out of residency. I, I walked away from prescribing birth control almost four years ago. I was disillusioned and considered leaving medicine altogether after constantly hearing patients complain about side effects from sexual health issues to mood issues. I didn't want to play a part in their suffering any longer, especially the ones with serious health effects, such as a venous thromboembolic event or you know, a, a blood clot. Mm -hmm. But I had nothing else to offer. I stumbled across information about modern fertility awareness-based methods and how to utilize them as a diagnostic tool to identify and treat underlying um, menstrual issues. And then she mentions the Creighton model and the NAPRO technology. And we're going to have a NAPRO doctor on uh, at the end of the month. Yay. I had a reckoning of sorts, professionally and personally, that reshaped how I saw the practice of medicine. God, can I relate to that? 
and started a private practice that is focused on offering women more healthful alternatives to traditional OBGYN care. She herself had a transfundal myomectomy in 2016 for otherwise, quote, unexplained infertility, unquote, by a well-known minimally invasive surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, a very excellent uh, facility. The surgeon advised me that vaginal delivery would be safe, and I had many reasons for not wanting to return to the OR as a patient. When I finally became pregnant two years later, my colleagues there fought me tooth and nail, but finally agreed to attend a vaginal delivery when the minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon put it in writing. So, you know, they, everybody wants their ass covered. And so the people that were going to allow her, allow her to have a vaginal delivery after she'd had a myomectomy wanted a letter on the chart, even though they could have read the op report themselves. So kudos to this doctor for, for honoring his patient's request and writing a letter to support her. Yeah. Needless to say, of course, what else would happen to her? Oh, my little girl was breech and I had a scheduled C-section. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. With my next pregnancy, my colleague and personal physician told me, quote, absolutely not, unquote, when I told her I planned to, I planned to labor. I transferred care to a maternal fetal medicine doctor who agreed with me that my risk for uterine rupture was approximately the same as one to one to one, one to two C-sections. I got in touch with ICANN. That's the International Cesarean Awareness Network, not the Inf Informed Consent Action Network, which is Dell Big Tree's organization. Um, spun the heck out of that baby. <laughs> <laughs> Visited a chiropractor, had a doula support. I was overjoyed when she turned from breech to cephalic at 33 weeks. I had an unmedicated term VBAC after cesarean myomectomy three hours after hospital admission. Unfortunately, my MFM had moved on, and I saw a new OBGYN for my last pregnancy. The baby was also breached, and my OBGYN offered me a version since I had a, quote, proven pelvis. I was initially relieved that this was a, an option, but then I was angry for three reasons. One, you obviously can't prove a pelvis until it's given a chance. So okay. she doesn't like that term either, and I know that you don't like that term. Yeah. Two... Why was I not offered a version to avoid my first C-section? Yeah. Three, a world-class medical center did not have a single vaginal breech physician champion identified for me to consider breech vaginal delivery, the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, it's a big problem. The hospitalist scheduled to attend my version was not pleased, but we had a frank conversation and she was willing. My baby boy verted successfully, though not without dramatic trip to the OR. And I had a hospital stop and drop three days later. <laughs> <laughs> My point is this. I understand why women choose hospital birth, and I understand why women choose home birth. I also understand my firsthand why some of us feel forced to birth at home, as the thought crossed my mind many times. I am seriously contemplating home birth should we expand our family because my babies like to be breached and I have no interest in returning to the OR electively. Then she gets a little bit wiser and she says, there is no such thing as a no-risk pregnancy, but we must be mindful that every intervention has potential for negative consequences. Thank you both for sharing your passion and common sense approach to pregnancy and childbirth. It is hard to advocate for oneself when you do not do it constantly, but my takeaway, should you choose to share it with your audience, is 
Just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done, i.e. a version after a myomectomy. Two, don't be afraid to get another opinion. Yep. <laughs> and three, for the myomectomy moms, ask your surgeon to put delivery recommendations in writing. Ask for their reasoning and get a copy of your op report. Right. That's great advice. Wonderful. Yeah. So thank you, Dr. Susan. Thank you um, for that. It's really nice to hear another person waking up. Yeah. By the way, I just got contacted from uh, Dr. Ramon. In, uh, I think his last name's Perez, but I don't want to get it wrong, in Puerto Rico. And he's doing home births in Puerto Rico. And I think he has for a little bit of while. And so we're going we're gonna to have a meeting on Zoom just to chat, he and I. What? I have a client here from Puerto Rico that's staying in Santa Barbara because they were under the impression that it was illegal. Well, it's Maybe. Probably, probably illegal for midwives. For midwives. Right. Well, another, good. Another thing that makes a lot of sense. Doctors can need, do it, but midwives yeah. can't. Right. Yeah. I need to pass that information along to them. That's a, that's what a small world, right? <laughs> that I have a client here right now from Puerto Rico. Um, so uh, I think we're going to take a little break um, for those of you who are listening. And uh, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Bliss, what is Element? L-M-N-T. It's a amazing sponsor first of all we love them so much but it's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the bs like us that's right <laughs> i taught you well <laughs> it is it, it's got a lot of uh good salts in it and uh no sugar i even uh, took a little notes here and they have um a thousand milligrams of sodium 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium which helps maintain fluid balance regulates your blood pressure and supports muscle function, mood, and bone health. Which is great for pregnant mamas, breastfeeding moms, and absolutely for birth workers. So make sure that you have some in your in your birth bag if you need it or if your clients do in labor. For sure. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause like headache, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, especially in the birthing world. You know, a long time when we, before what I used to do it, but you still do. <laughs> you have a lot of <laughs> after being up all night and snacking on like not such good food sometimes and i carry it with me whenever i travel and i add it to my water like in the hotel room and stuff and i spent a lot of time recently in hotel rooms it's a great sponsor and they they've been doing really well and i'm really proud to be um supporting them they have multiple flavors your favorite uh, is raspberry right raspberry is mine and yours is mango yeah. chili but i i do have i do have some sad news oh so long, old friend, to Lemon Habadero. Oh, man. They discontinued it? So they could concentrate on citrus salt, raspberry salt, orange salt, raw unflavored, mango chili, chocolate salt, and watermelon salt. Maybe they're going to come out with some new stuff, too. But I trust <laughs> Elements. I trust that the, uh, they've done a deep dive into the research. They put their whole soul into it. We would like you to go to Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts, all one word. And when you do that, you'll get a free sample pack with your every order. Go do it. Go do it. Okay, we're back. back. So I have, some, um, I have some emails to go over, but what do you have? Oh, I was going to give you an option of which one you wanted me to read. Oh, which uh, one? Questions about breach twin birth, bravery and inspiration for third pregnancy, blowing minds at my presentation, 
or do I need a C-section? Oh, those are, those are different ones than ones I have. Yes. Oh, so you have four emails. I printed them up a while ago. And so I figured, well, I like since the you don't have but, a litany of things to go through today. <laughs> so so the, that's, I like the last two. So what were they again? Um, do I need a C-section or blowing minds at my presentation? Well, I always like blowing minds and I also like, do I need a C-section? So we'll do both. Oh yeah, we have time. Okay. So let's do blowing minds. We don't, you know, it's, uh, it's not like anybody's telling us there's nobody behind me going. We, I am, we have, we have a schedule today, even though you don't know it, we do. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ready. All right. Ready. All right. Um, so this is from Aubrey Jarrett and she says, Dr. Stu, I have something I must absolutely share with you tonight. I went to a women's networking event where I was asked to present my business as a, as a, as a birth. Oh, you know what, Stu? This is cut off. <laughs> it's cut off somehow. We can't can read that it? one. Can you pull it up? No, I'll, I'll print it again another time. To be continued. If you guys are so excited about that one, I will bring it back another time. So let's listen. Let's read the. Uh, do I need a C-section? It's really weird. It's totally cut off all the way down. I'm not, okay. edit I'm not editing this out either. I'm just keeping that because <laughs> that's so you. Uh, um, it's right. so me. Okay. Um, what does that mean exactly? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, it just means that that you're so enthusiastic about something, but you didn't like like read it ahead <laughs> of time to be sure you had it. <laughs> like I'm I'm completely anal. I read all my emails like three times to make sure that, and then I use my highlighter to figure out what what I'm going to talk about, what part of the email I'm going to skip. You oh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not anal, is what you're saying. Okay, good. Well, yeah. I don't, that's fine. Okay, guess what this woman calls me. Uh, this is from Valerie Bamford. She says, dear goodness, Bliss. I like that one. I don't know if she misspelled it or if that was intentional, but I like it. Dear goodness, Bliss and Dr. Stu. Um, yeah, I've I been think listening supposed to be goddess, actually. <laughs> I like goodness. Okay. Um, I've been listening to your podcast now for a long time. You keep me company during my long breastfeeding sessions. I'm a little bit obsessed with birth and in another lifetime, I would love to be a midwife for now. I'll have to be an onlooker into the birth world and be okay with tangentially connecting, connect being tangentially connected. I'm a psychotherapist who specializes in perinatal mental health. Okay. So here's my question. Would I need a C-section? I'm going to try to be as brief as I can with the background. In 2019, I had my first son in a hospital with CNMs. I had done my research and tried to find the hospital that would support a natural birth. Well, my water broke on Wednesday and he was born on a Saturday. When I went in Thursday afternoon to be checked, I asked for all um, all the at-home labor induction techni techniques and I was told, well, your water broke, so you can't have sex. Helpful. I researched and tried everything, including the poop juice. <laughs> that's castor oil, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that's castor oil. Never yeah. heard it called poop juice, but okay. Um, I tried so hard, but my body was not doing much on its own. So I ended up with an induction 
and the dreaded cascade of intervention. The anesthesiologist botched the epidural and attempted to place it five times. Missed, gave me a, sp a spinal, and then tanked mine and the baby's vitals. Hello, birth trauma. They finally got it in and then started pit. Finally, things were happening. I was breathing the baby down. They turned down the epidural so I could really feel him progressing. I told my doula to hold off on calling the midwife and waited till the last minute. When she got there, she had to gown up really quick because he was coming. It was only a few pushes and then he got stuck. It was a 50 second shit show. Hello, birth trauma again. So he had a 50 second quote unquote shoulder dystocia. He was totally fine. Of course, because I was in the hospital and, um, and this happened, we were separated, which not quite sure why, but um, okay, so Q second baby. I'm smarter this time. I'm going with an out of hospital birth center with CPMs instead of CNMs. It was day and night. I'm so grateful for their care. At 40 weeks pregnant, I get the flu. Couldn't stop peeing myself. Finally, at 40 weeks and three days, I wake up in labor at 2.30 a.m. He was born at 7.30. So it was precipitous labor. Well, not technically. Not by right? definition. Not by definition. Yeah. It's not right. Three hours. So you Three hours is the definition, but faster than than what she had to deal with last time. And you know how and, I feel about having a hard hard number anyway. Yeah. Right. You could have somebody that's laboring for eight hours very, very slowly, and then all of a sudden the baby comes out in 30 minutes. That's not technically defined as a precipitous labor. That's a precipitous labor. <laughs> <laughs> it was for her. Okay. Um, I should add, he was born in the backseat of my car in the parking lot of the birth center. Unfortunately, That's a he got, labor, right? <laughs> unfortunately, he got stuck. Cue shoulder dystocia again. My midwife was amazing. She had me on hands and knees so quickly reached in, I'm sure to free his shoulder. And it was only a minute later he was born. I should add there was mech in my waters and the cord was wrapped around his neck. So most of these things are, um, are versions of normal. However, he wasn't breathing. No respiratory effort. Good heart rate, though. He was given breasts in the backseat of my car and still nothing. He was taken to the hospital and eventually transferred to a large city hospital for cooling. I should add, I was also transferred to the hospital to be with him and was treated like a criminal. Shame on them. I'm happy to report that despite being diagnosed with moderate HIE at almost a year old, he's really thriving. An OB at the hospital told me I would need a C-section um, if I wanted any more children, I really want a third is home birth safe for me. I feel like in both of my births, I was in terrible positions and not how my body wanted to be. I would normally say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, for that lovely C-section, C-section suggestion, but with the HIE, it's in my head. I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm happy to provide any more information. Your fellow traveler Val. What do you think, Steele? Well, I mean, you can't take out the personal story. Um, just medically speaking, uh, we talked about this on our shoulder dystocia podcast, that doing a C-section for shoulder dystocia is not indicated. Um, but when you've had a history of a traumatic occurrence like that, now, was it related to the fact that she was sitting with her seatbelt on in a car or whatever else, and it was positioning, and that's why the baby got stuck, and and led uh, led to all the other problems. I don't. I have no. I, I don't know. 
But in general, a C-section, you know, to, to suggest a C-section for someone who's had one or two shoulder dystocias it is not really indicated because we're trained to deal with shoulder dystocia. And maybe if we allowed her to squat or be other positions, it would be less likely that it would happen. But when you have the history of a baby that was injured from a shoulder dystocia, that brings in a whole emotional factor that that I, as a physician, you know, can't comment on. That's a personal choice. What are you looking? What are you thinking? Do you actually think HIE was from a shoulder dystocia that was a minute long? Oh, I have no idea. That I, I again, I, I don't want to even speculate on that. So I don't know. I wouldn't, you're I say, you're saying it might have so. occurred in labor before that or something like that. Right. Right. I mean, I where, can't wherever imagine. It occurred, though, wherever it occurred, though, in this in this mom's mind, it's yes. it's frightening. Now, does doing an elective C-section prevent all cases of HIE? Of course not. Of course not, because most cases of HIE are an antepartum event. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be difficult for her to navigate that because of the anxiety that's been planted in her brain um, from that from this whole experience. That's well, what of I, course, that's absolutely, what, right. absolutely. But I don't, um, I don't, I can't put together how that situation with her baby was directly correlated to a shoulder dystocia that was a minute long. Right. Um, and then the other thing is um, the likelihood of having another baby that came out that was having respiratory difficulties, regardless of the shoulder dystocia, um, <clears throat> it, it's just so unlikely that you would have a repeat scenario. Again, those who have listened to us, there's no guarantees in birth, in home birth, in hospital birth, in life. It There are risks associated with just being alive. But what you're pointing to is that this is a very personal decision for her to be able to make. Um, but there's no true contraindication for home birth for her. In my mind, there isn't. No. Yeah. And, or vaginal birth in a hospital, if that makes you feel more comfortable. Right. Um, yeah. So. I see, but most importantly, if she's going to be in the hospital, just allow her to move and, and, right. and be changed. Not have an epidural. Yeah. Just, just a couple remarks on wh when you were reading the story, two things that, that struck me is one, the, the midwife had to gown up really quickly. It's uh -huh. like, <laughs> I, I just have the images of, of all the time scrambling to get your gown on and put your gloves on and nobody's to help you. So you got to put your gloves on sterilely yourself. And then nobody's to tying it up. You have to have somebody tie it up. It's uh, all that monkey business to catch a baby. Right. And the second thing was um, two, two more things. One was that the baby was separated from the mother. And my guess is that that's hospital policy. And again, hospital policies often have no basis in reason or no base in reason. Um, they probably have a policy that when the NICU team is called to the room, that the baby then has to go for observation. Mm. And there's no getting around that policy if you don't know your rights. Right. One of the things that we're offering on our Patreon is a way to fight for your rights and what, and knowing your rights and what things that you can do and say when they want to do something with you or your baby that you don't feel in conjunction with that you want to do something different. So, uh, right. And then thirdly, like summer said in her letter, and like you just said, either, 
you know, there's no way you can guarantee a safe outcome in any in any location anywhere. So these things will happen. And then we have to adapt to them. And some people will adapt to them by saying, I'm not going to go through that again. I'm going to have a scheduled C-section. And other people were saying, uh, that's a fluke. I don't believe that that, I believe my body will do okay. And I'm going to just go with the next time and know that that's what God had in store for me or whatever. And right. you, yeah, so there are, there, most of the time, no matter where you are, nature is remarkable and your outcome will be good. All right. So we'll leave most it. Most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You got one? Uh, yeah, I got one. Um, this one I got, I have, I'm going to have to pull it up here. So bear with me for a second. So I have to go to, whoops, that's the wrong slide. Got to go here. Got to go here. And this is from Sam and she titles it, uh, the mom who went rogue. And although, yeah. it's, and although it's from, um, from a time of COVID, it's not too hard to believe that in the near future with disease X or whatever else is coming down the pike, that these kind of things are going to be put back in place again. So she wrote this story to me just, just uh, four days ago, but um, it's probably, it's obviously from a couple years ago because it was during the time of COVID and she writes, dear Stu and bliss. I want to share my birth story with you, hopefully to inspire other expecting moms to trust their instincts. I will preface this by saying within my one pregnancy, my husband and I moved several times twice across the country. I felt oh, led to go the midwife and birth center route, dispelled wrong, sorry, in the beginning of my pregnancy. However, moving several times and never getting truly established, even with a good doctor, I decided to go the traditional hospital route and I picked my OB based on the highest recommendations on Facebook. No comment. I don't know about recommendations on Facebook or Yelp or any place else. I'm not sure. Bliss, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you know, if you don't have people close to you, um, that might be a good way if you're in the middle of a um, group that has like-minded values. But, you okay. know. Okay. So good. Not many OBs I would I would recommend, so. Yeah, I have a hard time. I mean, there's there's hundreds of OBs in Los Angeles, and people will ask me for a recommendation, and and there are very few that are like like minded that that are yeah. that are hands off. Yeah, I had expressed to him that I wanted an unmedicated birth as natural as possible, and little to no medical intervention as possible. I compared myself to a cow, and said, "Quote: Cows do it every day. I've been around them my entire life, and most of the time, if left alone." They need little or no attention or interventions. Needless to say, he couldn't believe what he was hearing and pretty much dismissed my wishes and said, quote, women always say they want an unmedicated birth until they get to the actual birth. Then they change their mind. Most planned births don't go as planned anyways, unquote. So a little bit dismissive, a little bit demeaning, but she says the second part of what he said couldn't have been more true. Most planned births don't go as planned. And that's uh, that's pretty true, actually. Yeah. Skip ahead. That's why you need to be flexible. Skip ahead to showing up to the hospital in labor. I was two weeks past my due date, and two days would be Thanksgiving. This was the height of COVID. Walking into the hospital, they took our temperature, and we made our way to labor and delivery. They got us into a room, and my contractions began to stall. Shocking. Not. Okay. Red flag number one. 
Why does it stall, Bliss? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. It's because <laughs> it's an intervention and it affects your hormones when you feel nervous and afraid. Um, and if a cow walked into a hospital, I guarantee you the cow would probably not want to drop their baby there either. Uh, that's as good as explanation as I can give you. Yeah, it's <laughs> you, you, your cortical brain comes into play and it shuts down your primitive brain. Okay. They checked how far along I was and I was only two centimeters dilated. So what about that? It's a little early to be at the hospital. Um, you're going to have a lot of meddling. Well, that's already, they just meddled. Yeah, by checking, yeah. By checking mm -hmm. her, okay. Mm -hmm. right. uh, but being that I was two weeks overdue, they decided they were going to keep me and strap the fetal monitor on my stomach. I was informed that the doctor would be in in a few hours. They then began the series of questions like, are you vaccinated for COVID? And when I, we responded no, and that I wasn't going to allow them to test me for COVID, things got a little tense. My husband and I were perfectly healthy and lived in the middle of nowhere and rarely saw anyone, and there was no reason to test me for COVID. By the way, once again, those COVID tests, those nasal swabs, the accuracy was them was, was so bad, and it wasn't even designed for screening purposes, but it was used as a means, first of all, for revenue generation, and second of all, it means to, to herd people into different categories. So another flawed form of thinking uh, or what we would call stage one thinking in my world. I was told I would get treated as a COVID patient, which meant we could not leave, and <laughs> we could not leave, and that no one would could come to see us, and we were fine with that. I then got told if something went wrong with the birth and my baby ended up in the NICU, I wouldn't be allowed to see my baby for at least 10 days. I asked the nurses to leave so me and my husband could discuss our options. I was playing with the fetal monitor and could see on the screen when I did, it showed up on the monitor. Um, it showed up on the monitor. Then the nurses came rushing in, <laughs> one in her hazmat suit, who really had an agenda to push and told me that something was wrong with the baby and they believed there was meconium in my womb. They began to prep me for an IV and then I asked them to leave. And that's all she says because she was playing with the monitor. Because I wanted to talk to my husband. I knew I was on a fast track to a C-section and the future of getting to hold my baby after birth was dwindling. At this point, things were most definitely going, not going as planned. Thankfully, my husband and his parents had his parents on the phone the entire time and they were hoping to, helping to keep us calm. My husband's mother told us to get out of there and said she spoke with a local midwife. Thankfully, my husband and his parents on the phone, oh, I, sorry, I'm reading, this. it's hard for me to read this, with a local midwife at a birth center that would be willing to take me in. So I yanked the fetal monitor off, put my hands on, put my pants on and left. But not before they made me sign a paper saying that I was leaving against their recommendation. I signed it and left. I went to my OBGYN and got my medical records and told them they were fired. And we went on our way to the birth center. Walking to the birth center, my contractions started again. If that wasn't a sign from God, I don't know what is. The midwife told me to go eat food, find somewhere to sleep, and go get a good rest and call her when my contractions were intense and about two minutes apart. So I ate, I drank, and I had a hotel to sleep in and rest. As I navigated into more and more intense contractions around 9.30 that evening, I made the decision to make my way back to the birth center. The midwife checked to see how far along I was, and I still wasn't quite time, and she told me to stay there 
and tried to rest and gave me a few stretches to, to do to ease my comfort. Oh, regular stretches, not cervical stretches, right. Around midnight, I called her back, as this time I meant business. She checked me again, and I was, only, I was eight centimeters dilated, and she suggested sitting in the birthing tub. Well, she didn't even get it half full, and I felt the need to push. I asked her if I could, and she said yes. I pushed, and my water broke, and there was my baby's head. I pushed two more times, and my beautiful daughter made her way into the world, healthy and as perfect as can be. I got my unmedicated birth, and, I know, and I'm known as the mom who went rogue among the midwife staff. Thank you for your time. This was a long email, and hopefully you all got a good laugh out of it. The mom, the mom who went rogue, Sam. Okay. Uh, the part I like is she's like, I called her back, and I meant business. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's when we know. Yep, yep, it's time. That's great. Yeah, you think about the, the, the protocols and policies that were put in place during COVID in the hospitals. The one-size-fits-all policy, you know, somebody who's healthy and unvaccinated is a, is a danger. You know, nurses who were vaccinated and sick were allowed to come to work. It's just, it, that's just one of many of the yeah, stupidities that went on during that, during that period of time. But good for that midwife for giving them another opportunity. It's, it's not easy to extend yourself to somebody who you have never met before and don't know, you know, if, the, if they have the right mental stuff, right? Because you haven't really had enough time to spend time with them and it's a last minute transfer in. So it's 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 not always easy to, to extend yourself in that way, but good for her that she felt comfortable to be able to give this mom an option. Yeah, and you know what's also, what's great is she picked the, she picked the husband with the right in-laws. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> they supported her. They supported I know, they're like, get out of there. They told her to get out of there. Yeah, just get out of there. That's now, awesome. again, for the naysayers and stuff like that, not every woman should get out of there. But when they tr don't treat you with dignity, when they don't listen to you, when they have policies they don't explain, when the policies don't make sense even after they explain them, um, think twice. And one of the other things that's really important out of this story and pretty much all the stories we read is if you have a doula, which I don't think they had, then, like then they can keep you out of the hospital until much, much later in your labor. Mm -hmm. If you go in early, you're almost bound to get on the road to the cascade of interventions. That's just, just how it works. Hospital is not there to, to let you sit there and do nothing. And from the very beginning of her story, she said, I don't want any interventions. So... I'm not picking on her, but I want to highlight and remind you guys, if you don't want what the hospital has to offer, don't go to the hospital because it's like going to the hardware store for milk. That's not it. If you want pain relief, if it makes you feel more comfortable to be in the hospital, um, if, if you're one of those people who's like, sure, do whatever, um, then that might be appropriate for you. But if you're somebody who's like, I don't want you to touch you, me, I don't want you to mess with me, that's the wrong environment because it's not how they're structured. And it's going to feel like everything is a battle. And even though they did a lot of work in that pregnancy to make try to make it right, they they did find that moving twice made them have to settle and they, and or made them think they had to settle. And they really didn't have to settle. 
Yeah. It is hard to find a midwife. Usually midwives get booked up and it is hard for a midwife to take you on at 34, 35 weeks or whatever it was when she moved last, but don't settle. Do not settle. Do not settle. It's too important. Okay. We're going to take another break from our sponsor and uh, we'll be right back. And we're going to talk about what we talk about when you're having a prenatal <laughs> visit. Yes, we are. So, Stu, I have a question for you. I'm shocked. What is it? <laughs> what is one thing in a woman's pregnancy that she can control? Because so much is out of our control. Uh, her nutrition? That's right. And we are so excited to be partnered with such an amazing company as needed because they have focused on pregnancy, postpartum as being some of the most nutritionally demanding time in a woman's life. And it can be influenced by her nutrition status. So they support women during this time with all kinds of amazing products. Their line just has so many options. So make sure and check them all out. But Stu's going to tell us a little bit about um, their immune support because it's turning fall and we need a little bit more right now during this time. Yeah, Needed has an immune support, uh, which is a popular choice right now with all the back to school germs and heading into the winter when we all tend to get sick more frequently. And the people ask sometimes, well, if I'm pregnant, can I take this product? And of course, yes, it was formulated uh, for pregnant mamas in mind. So it's uh, recommended and safe in pregnancy. Or it's intended to complement, not replace other products that they offer as well. So it's just one of those things that you add to your, you know, your prenatal vitamins, your probiotic, your maybe your stress support, your sleep and relaxation support. But Bliss, I wanted to talk about something else today. Don't forget the men. That's right. We love the men. Right. So they have a sperm support, uh, men's pre and probiotic. And they say men play a critical role in conception and healthy pregnancies. I, I, I imagine that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> and the preconception health can significantly impact both fertility outcomes and also the health of their future children. Needed's Men Fertility Plan is a must for couples trying to conceive to support the multiple components of fertility, including sperm health, gut health, optimal nutrient levels, and testosterone levels, which, by the way, are falling worldwide. So you can do this and it works. Why not? I trust Needed's products with my patients because they use scientifically studied ingredients and perform rigorous third-party testing. And unlike other products on the market, Needed designs their products from the ground up using the latest research and insights from men's fertility practitioners. So, you know, we are a woman's podcast mostly, but I don't want those dads to feel excluded. So head over to thisisneeded.com and use code birthinginstincts for 20% off your one-time order. That's right. Thanks, Needed. Okay, we're back. That happened so quick. <laughs> for us anyway. Uh <laughs> Behind okay. the scenes. <laughs> so bliss. Yes, darling. Let me preface this by saying when I was in the medical model, when I came out of residency and I did OB, we did volume practice. And even though I never really did the volume where I was doing 30 births a month or 40 births a month, I may, may at my peak have been doing 10 to 15 a month. And I was in uh, solo practice. Um, but we had an office to run and we had a very busy office that was very extensive. It was in Century City, which was had a high rent district. And we had a lot of staff, too much probably. 
but we, you know, we needed them because we had a billing department and we had an office manager and we had a receptionist and we had back office people and front office people and filing people and all that stuff. It was, you know, before everything was computerized, but it doesn't seem that that's limited the number of employees you need to have anyway um, with EMR. Uh, but we had a very high overhead. So we had to do volume practice and we had to see people very quickly. And my prenatal visits were probably six to seven minutes long, maybe a, a little longer. I, I didn't I didn't cram them in, but I learned how to get out the questions that I needed to get out in six to seven minutes. And uh, you, you sort of learn a way to deflect lot the, the questions that might take long answers when you only have a certain amount of time. There are doctors who are really good at making you feel like you were really hurt, even though you were there for six minutes and did, and then you leave the office and you realize you didn't get to ask the three questions that were on the list that you brought with you, but, but you still feel good about it because you liked your doctor. And I think that I was probably in that category. Then when I finally left the hospital-based world and I started to work with midwives, even in the office setting, the midwives uh, had prenatal visits that were 45 to 60 minutes long. And this was when I was still collaborating with them in the office setting. And when they were gone or they were up busy at a delivery and I would see their clients, I would be done in 10 or 15. <laughs> and then this goes on. And when I started doing home visits and I gave every client a 60 minute window, I would be out of questions by 20 minutes. I wouldn't know what to talk about. So mm -hmm. I used to joke with you and Alex and a few other people. It's like, why do you, what do you guys talk about that takes a whole hour? <laughs> And so that's why we're here today, because you're going to tell people sort of what it is that a midwife prenatal visit looks like Yeah, that is so different from what even a good OB would want to do and, and a sensitive OB would know how to do because we're trained in an era of just getting them in and getting them out. Well, you know, yeah. Also, you guys are screening for problems, not a lot of preventative. And I think that that is a big part of the difference. You know, it doesn't take long to take somebody's blood pressure and have them pee and, you know, and kind of look at them and just like ask them for big symptoms. That is, a, it's pretty short. And that is probably about 10, 15 minutes of what we do. Right. And but we relied, we relied heavily, by the way, on anything else on giving out pamphlets. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Here's ACOG's pamphlet on nutrition. Here's ACOG's pamphlet on <laughs> this or that. or whatever. And we, we had a whole wall with um, eight different ACOG pamphlets on it that we would yeah. order from ACOG and ACOG would make money selling them to us. And I was part of the, the, uh, the, I was a cog in their wheel and I thought it was made a lot of sense and it just was easier to hand you a, a, a handout on, you know, on circumcision, a handout on, on hepatitis B, a handout on vitamin K and not yeah. talk about it. I figured that if I did the handout thing, then I did my job because the handout thing was my substitute for informed consent. Right. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. I was wrong. So here's the question <laughs> that here's the question that initiated this chat. So um, Bliss, I don't know if this is something that you wanted to go over on the podcast, but I have had two home births myself. And still, and still every appointment is about 15 to 20 minutes long, not very long. I was wondering what you offer differently as a midwife during your appointments with your clients. Why do I always hear that some appointments 
are up to an hour long. What am I missing in conversation to be having with her? My midwife knows I'm very educated in my pregnancy, labor, and delivery choices, but we always still have pretty short appointments. So I, we thought that this might be a fun topic. So I would say the very first thing um, that I do, because I do use um, electronic medical records, and it's it can be distracting from the true connection when your face is charting and I'm terrible at charting (laughs) because I'm so interested in connecting and listening and making eye contact. And then you have another appointment afterwards that, you know, you just kind of get down the basics. Um, So for those of you who want to be doing defensive charting, I am probably not your mentor. Um, But so the very first thing that I think is really important is that we sit down and I just kind of see how they're doing. I ask the dad how they're doing and we just talk about life and just get connected. And before I jump into my questions, I kind of open it up to them. Is there anything on your mind or heart today that you really wanted to discuss? Did you have any questions that you wanted to address? And so it's very, that part is very organic. Um, And I think that this is a really important aspect too, is the individualization of the care is that for some people, like this mom who's already had a couple of home births, she may not have a lot of questions about home birth or pregnancy because she's been through it before. And this is common with women who have who've already had children that first-time moms have a lot of questions because they haven't they haven't been through this before. And and subsequent moms often don't. So that might be part of why it's a little bit shorter. But so she might want to talk about her relationship. She might want to talk about how difficult it is to be pregnant with younger children. Um, She might have this might, you know, maybe there's a woman who had a home birth the first time. I mean, a hospital birth the first time and she doesn't know at all how this works. And some of the things that I might recommend to her might be a totally brand new thing. I had a woman who had three hospital births with Kaiser. And then with her last one, she had a home birth with me. And every appointment we talked for an hour talked about all kinds of things, you know, um, but I let her guide what what was important for her to be able to talk about. Um, so that's the very first thing. And, you know, at some point, there's some people who are real talkers <laughs> and you're like, you know, that like you said, you have a certain amount of things that you do want to make sure that you cover that that day. Um, maybe for that mom, um, like I was looking at a note this morning when I was kind of thinking about um, this topic, uh, this mom is 33 weeks and I wasn't able to palpate the position of the baby because of her anatomy and the amount of fluid that she has. And so, um, you know, there's a note in there that talks about like, if I can't feel the baby next time, um, that we've already discussed going in and doing an ultrasound to confirm position. Um, so at her next appointment, I would make sure that that would be one of the main parts that I would want to be able to address during that prenatal visit. Um, But a lot of it is led by the family. Also, when I go to people's homes or they have young children, part of what I'm doing is connecting with them, you know, making them feel comfortable, including them in the conversation. Um, So that can take up time too, depending on who is present, but not just focusing on the mom, but focusing on the whole family and including them in the decisions, the information, um, because I want everybody to feel really comfortable when it comes time for the delivery. 
Um, did you have some questions? I see you writing stuff down. I'm going to come up at the end. Yeah, I'm taking notes. Okay. Yeah. okay. You can interrupt me too. So I'm not just yapping. Okay. So um, because midwifery is preventative, a lot of what we talk about ends up being lifestyle. So um, things that we always talk about, or I always talk about at every visit is how's your sleep? What's going on with your sleep? And maybe helping them problem solve if they're not getting good sleep. Some For some people, it might be their brain is hyperactive and they wake up in the middle of the night and they're an overthinker and they start processing that. So maybe, yeah, that's you. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> so what are my recommendations for that, Stu? Do you know? Drugs? <laughs> no, not for a pregnant woman. <laughs> Although kid I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although you can use melatonin occasionally, it's not a good thing to rely on all the time because it interrupts your your um, natural circadian rhythm and um, the hormone flood that happens inside of your body. So you don't want to necessarily intervene with that. Um, guided meditations or hypnosis are really great. And there are a lot of them that are specifically for pregnancy. Um, and that can be a great way to get back to sleep. Plus, it feels like you're doing something positive. Another thing that that tends to work for me is making sure, you know, a lot of times when you're in bed, you're sitting there scrolling or doing something on your LED screen. You should absolutely not be doing that. Um, what, I, what I've done on this trip to help me fall asleep when I'm in strange hotel rooms and stuff like that is I, I listen to Audible. I have books. Mm -hmm. And um, if I start playing a book on Audible with the lights out, Oh my God, by the time I, you know, I, you know, it keeps playing. Unfortunately, you, it doesn't shut off. So you find <laughs> yourself like six chapters down when you wake up later, but you have to rewind it. But the, just the droning on of somebody talking with the, with the, the narrator talking that helps put me to sleep. So I, I sometimes need a distraction like music or, or sleep, but staying away from things that stimulate you, like checking hockey scores or, um, you know, like reading current events or that sort of thing. Bad, you know, that for me is a bad, a bad idea. Also making sure you have protein before you go to bed too. So you don't wake up a little bit hypoglycemic a little bit and, and uh, th that sort of thing. But th those are the simple things. Uh, again, I defer to these sorts of things and I've learned what I've learned from you. And I do want to add, by the way, that by the, you know, in, in the last years of my home birth practice, an hour went by really fast. Uh, I, I filled up an hour very easily. It just it just took a while to transition from being a medicalized OB to somebody who's doing that. But finish up and and give a few more suggestions about what else do you tell people besides meditation and hypnosis as far as getting to sleep. Are there any physical things that they can do? Well, I have a ton of things to go through, so we can go back and go into specific um, suggestions if you want to. But I don't want to get stuck on right. one. Okay. So, but one of the things that we do is we troubleshoot for sleep um, because we want you to have seven to eight hours um, of sleep in a 24 hour period. So if you're not getting that, then, in, you know, having conversations and encouraging them to figure out ways to be able to nap because women who nap well do much better in the postpartum period because not all your sleep is going to come at night. So these are the kind of conversations that we're having, which can talk about food, nutrition, diet. Um, but it also can just talk about like, how do you, how do you learn how to adjust to being 
a, a mom, a dad, you know? So a lot of what I'm talking to them about are long-term goals too. It's not just about having a healthy pregnancy, but it's about how's your postpartum going to be? What is it going to be like once you're a parent and you have a toddler? So we talk about a lot of those things and it just depends again on the questions and where people might be struggling. So the other thing that we always talk about is give me a diet recall for the last 24 hours. And then they go over what they've eaten. And it's so funny. So often people will be like, Oh man, yesterday was a really bad day. And I'm like, uh-huh. I hear that all the time. <laughs> um, and I'm not testing them, right? Because it, it's not like there's a there's a good way necessarily. It's about looking at how they are eating and where they struggle, if they struggle, um, and giving them some suggestions because some people are gonna be more low income. Maybe they're a working mom. They've got a bunch of kids. They don't necessarily have the ability to do the same things as a first time mom who works from home. And, you know, she's already somebody who eats organic. And so you really have to tailor what you're telling these people based on their lifestyle, because you don't want to tell someone who doesn't have enough money to go and buy organic food at Whole Foods. It's going to make her feel bad that she can't do those things. So you really have to like be able to make recommendations that are simple for them um, and that work inside of how their family already operates. Um, so that is a big part of the conversation and focusing, you know, you guys have heard me talk about this before. A big one is protein. So I think people really struggle with that. And so we're talking about ways to add those in, in a way that works for them. And some people will be like, can I do a protein bar? And I'm like, yeah, you know, if you need to do a protein bar, if you're running around and you haven't been able to figure that out, it's fine, but I would rather have you have whole foods. So we talk a lot about that too. And I get really hungry during my prenatal visits because we talk about food so much um, that I'm always like, hmm, those recipes sound really good. I want to try that out. Um, and then socially, and emotionally, um, how are how are you feeling? You know, asking questions about how's your relationship with your mother in law. How are you guys connecting? Um, how's your heart feeling today? You know, just depending on what I know about them already, I can start to ask questions to get into how is their extended life um, interacting with this pregnancy? Because as a midwife, we we really believe it's mind, body, spirit, and that they're all connected and integrated. Some people have a really hard time opening up. Um, and so some appointments, no matter how much I try and like get to know them and, and ask questions that maybe help them open up a little bit, um, they're just not interested in that real deep connection. But I do my best to feel like we've created some intimacy because I do believe that this is a big part of things going smoothly during the birth is if they trust you and, and asking the dads to come to as many appointments as possible so that I can actually have those kinds of conversations with them too. Um, this is a big, big part of prenatal care, I believe. And, um, one of my teachers, Elizabeth Davis, she's the one who wrote Heart, Heart and Hands. Um, I learned from her early on in my um, schooling. And she talks about the more that you do preventatively with nutrition and emotional kind of unpacking, 
um, the, the smoother that the actual birth would go. So I spend a lot of time prenatally getting to know my clients and making sure that they go into um, their birth as healthy as possible. So Bliss, we have a not new sponsor, BirthFit. <laughs> They've been with us for a while now, so we can't call them new anymore. But they do have some exciting new news as BirthFit has its newest member, as our friend Lindsay ha had her baby. So congratulations, Lindsay and family. Yay! Yeah, BirthFit is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and the postpartum. Tell us a little bit about their programs. You know what? They cover you for all aspects of feminine care and birth and postpartum. It's really amazing. So the BirthFit Basics is a prenatal program is 30 days, no equipment necessary for any trimester of pregnancy. So you could try that out before you jump in further. And then they have a prenatal training program, which is full strength conditioning that requires minimal equipment like dumbbells, bands, and a box. I had a client the other day who was laying in bed like a good client um, taking my suggestion. She's like, you know, just laying in bed nursing all day. I'm feeling a little sore. You know, any stretches? And I said, you should really try this lying in program that they have. It's great for postpartum. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focuses on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum through breathing exercises, visualization, and belly massages. I mean, come on, that sounds amazing. It is amazing. And then, yeah, and then they have um, kind of an intermediate birth fit basics, which requires no um, equipment. So that focuses on foundational breath work and movements to reestablish a solid foundation of core and pelvic floor stability before you go back to any other fitness classes. But they also have a more extensive postpartum program, which is 12 weeks focused on building a base level of general fitness through simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. Yeah, Pretty the birth fit community is where you want to be if you're trying to conceive or know you want to be in the next one to three years. This is a monthly membership program by Women for Women that focuses on general strength and conditioning with respect around one's menstrual cycle. So go to birthfit.com and use the code instincts1, that's the number one, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program or go to birthfit.com, use the code instincts two to get a discount on the basics postpartum program. We love birthfit. It's OB and midwife approved. Absolutely. And go check out Lindsay. I mean, she looks great and she did her own fitness program throughout her whole pregnancy and had an amazing birth. So check it out. Um, okay. So, and then we talk about supplements, anything changed in your supplementation? Are you like, why don't we review what you're taking right now? And we kind of go over that and talk about things that maybe we might want to add in as we go. Um, so one of the, you know, general things that I would talk about around 28 weeks is adding in a vaginal probiotic as a preventative for GBS. And that might open up a conversation to talk a little bit about what it, do you what do you know about GBS? How do you feel about the protocols of if you're positive that the standard of care would be to get antibiotics? And those kind of um, as you were talking about, like handing somebody a brochure having to do with informed consent. Um, I really I, I, I do have informed consents for a lot of these things. And I ask people to review them prior to probably, you know, the the prenatal visit that would be 
appropriate for us to have this discussion. And then we have a discussion. What did you think about what you read? Um, do you want any additional resources? Um, you know, just talking to them about their risk benefits. And But I think it's good for them to be able to read the detailed numbers and statistics and do a deep dive if they want to, and then open up the conversation to ask me questions about how we would manage it individually for them. I'm, I'm waiting to see if you have any questions, but you don't. Oh, I, I have I have lots of little thoughts and stuff like that. Do you want me to chime in now? Sure. Because I don't want to, because you're on a roll. Okay, I'm going to keep going then. Yeah. Okay. Stay on your so, roll, then I'll, then I'll chime in at the end and I'll, I'll bring stuff up because you, you okay. this is great because people who are want to follow you, they don't want me interrupting right now. They want to hear okay. what you're doing, so... So then we go into pregnancy symptoms, and I'm just going to read through the ones that we do and why um, these are important. Um, and, you know, if we're having a really good dialogue or if we're going deep emotionally, I don't need to go into every one of these questions every time I just go over the big ones. Because what happens is sometimes people I ask, do you have anything new to report? Any new symptoms that you want to talk about? And they're like, no. And then you start to go into the details of this and they're like, oh, yeah, I had a headache. And oh, yeah, my bowels are not moving about, you know. So it's always good to like ask the big ones um, because sometimes people forget to report those things to you. So um, we often talk about headaches. One, because that is one of the signs for preeclampsia is headaches with visual disturbances, but also it's just a way to help them navigate. How do you manage a headache in a pregnancy without just taking Tylenol or something like that? So Again, recommendations, making sure that they're drinking enough water, um, making sure that it's not low blood sugar. Oftentimes, okay. yeah. Oftentimes, I was just going to comment on that. It's a, Headaches can also be a sign of hypoglycemia too, right? Yeah. So, you know, you want to start at the real simple things for recommendations, sleep, food, water, stress, movement, right? It, it often will go back to the really simple things and just helping people remember to prioritize self-care. Um, so headaches and visual disturbances we talk about, um, any dizziness, fainting, nausea, those kinds of general things. Again, especially early in pregnancy, um, nausea and vomiting is very common, but there are lots of things that we can do for most women. I mean, some women do have hyperemesis, which is more difficult and we might need to move to trying medications and things like that. But for most people, it has to do with food and not enough protein. Um, so helping them figure out ways to integrate more of that um, can be a big part of our discussion. Um, then we talk about their bowels because your bowel health is um, how your bowels are moving is a very important part of just your overall health. Plus, we don't want you um, straining when you go to the bathroom because that can cause hemorrhoids, which are um, we have a propensity towards in pregnancy because of relaxin that's in our system. And it affects a lot of parts of our body, but the integrity of the veins and vessels is one of them, which is why we have um, a higher chance of having varicose veins or hemorrhoids. And so straining is um, one of the ways that we can exacerbate that. So um, we do talk a lot about poop. Um, and then we talk about vaginal discharge because that can be a big sign of whether or not um, Things might be happening with your cervix, which we talked about it a, a couple of podcasts ago. So um, as you get closer to your delivery, 
your discharge tends to change. So that can be a big part of the conversation. Um, how's your pelvis feeling? Your hips, your back, your pubic bone. Um, we talk about that. We talk about ways that you can support that with stretching, um, chiropractic, um, moving your body, how you're sleeping, uh, positions and stuff like that. So that can be something just for comfort. I think a lot of people assume things like constipation and hip pain and the nausea are just things that you have to deal with with pregnancy. But a lot of times we can make changes to make you feel more comfortable. Um, itchiness is another one we talk about. This is a screening for things like pups or um, cholestasis, but also, again, just, you know, helping them feel more comfortable in their pregnancy. Um, whether or not they're feeling fatigued, if they've had a fever, like if they were sick and they had a fever of 101 or more, um, do they have, have they been having any contractions or cramping, depending on where they are in pregnancy, you know, um, that could be a, an okay thing, or it could be something that we might need to make some adjustments. Um, and then we talk about swelling and um, evaluate whether or not they have any pitting edema. Again, that's a sign for preeclampsia. So that's something that, and there's just education that comes along with this, right? So like, have you had any swelling? They're like, oh yeah, my rings aren't fitting well. And it's like, yeah, that's totally fine. Or your feet being swollen at the end of pregnancy, if you've been standing all day or it's hot is okay. But what we're looking for is pitting edema that might be going up your shin or your leg, or you wake up swollen in your face or your chest. These are things that I would want you to give me a call about. Um, so in the beginning, there's a lot more education. And then as we get closer to delivery, we're talking and, you know, some people are like so type A, they want to talk about like, let's talk about childbirth education stuff at in the first trimester. And so I try and like encourage them to and I'll, you know, answer any questions that they have. But as you get farther along in your pregnancy, the things that are important to you start to shift. So in the beginning, it's about how do we keep this pregnancy healthy and viable and all of those things. And as you get closer to delivery, those things start to come up like, oh my gosh, I have to get this baby out of my vagina now. How am I going to do that? So you start having those questions. And then once we're completely prepared for labor, we've got all the things ready. You know, they don't have any more questions about how things are managed or how they can cope or, you know, all of those things. Then we start to talk about what's your postpartum plan? Like, let's talk about what you have going with that. And what We can have several um, visits where we're talking about their plan and making sure that they feel really comfortable about how postpartum is going to be for them. Um, and then 10 minutes or so is I take their blood pressure, have them um, do a urine check where we check for um, a bunch of different things. And then um, we get on the table and we either, I either use a Doppler or a fetoscope depending on their preference or where they are in pregnancy. Um, and then um, show them when they get farther along, what position the baby is in, how to feel positions. I can show the mom or the dad or the mother-in-law or whoever's there, which is just a nice way also to empower them and to feel connected. Um, I measure and make sure that the baby's growth is on track. Um, yeah, I think that's a general prenatal visit. You get all that in, in one hour. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> yeah, I know you, yeah. you, you, you've just blown every medical student out of the water. And I, and I think it's really important what you said. Can I, can I add a little bit now or not add, but just even, yeah. you know, inquire. Please. 
I'm tired okay. of listening to myself talk. <laughs> well, yeah. And as, as you get toward the end of the pregnancy, one of the things I'm sure you talk about that sort of got lost in the shuffle is, is the what ifs, the, the like, well, if we have to transport, what's that like? And if, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if this happens, what's that like? So you, you, you have time to talk about that when you have an hour, you don't really have time when you have six to eight minutes to talk about the what ifs. Yes, you're already going to be in the hospital, but they don't talk about the what ifs, um, you know, this positioning causes you to be in pain and you need an epidural and that whole cascade. You know, I don't think the cascade of interventions is part of an obstetrician's routine discussion at their prenatal visits. So that's one thing. Um, you talked about charting at the very beginning and you said something about, I'm a very bad charter and stuff like that. And I, I respect somebody who's sort of a bad charter because charting is, is really kind of a, it, it's a two-edged sword, right? Charting is supposed to be so that someone else could take over if you something happened to you, you weren't available or you weren't there or something else. It's also obviously a legal record. The question is, is, is it, does it have to be as thorough as the EMR software makes it be? And no, it doesn't. And no, it shouldn't. And so there's got to be a happy medium in it. The problem is, is that if you're not charting while you're talking during this time, that makes the day longer. So because you, you charted afterwards. So kind of like a psychologist or psychiatrist works, they talk to you for 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. Then they have a 10 minute break or 15 minute break mm -hmm. between the next client. That's a time where they, they go to the bathroom <laughs> and then they, they write notes. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, if I can make a suggestion to people mm -hmm. listening is to just make eye contact the whole time and maybe scribble down some things and then later on go in and enter. Now, if you're a real fast typist and you can make eye contact while you're typing, that's okay. But a lot of us older folk <laughs> can't do that. So um, don't, and, and, and again, I don't like the term defensive charting, but I, but I, I know that that's the way that we think, but we've got to get that sort of out of our mind. No, I said it intentionally. Yeah, I know you did. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, I don't I don't practice that way, but right. I know that there are people who teach that, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think it's wrong to teach that because again, it's a mindset. And what yeah. you're trying to do with your prenatal visits is create a mindset of confidence and trust in the in the woman so that as you said, if you get if as as I forgot the name of the midwife that was your mentor, what's her name? Elizabeth Davis? Yeah. As Elizabeth Davis said, if you saw, get all these problems out of the way, you're going to end up with a more likely chance of a labor that goes the way you want it to go. Um, family and kids included is so important. Uh, it's it, That was one of the funnest things about visits. And we had toys in on the floor that the kids could play with while we're talking to their parents. And and we included them in it. Obviously, you know, when they're old enough, they can they can hear the find the heartbeat and they can put their hands on, they can use the measuring tape and all that stuff. They can take the blood pressure. Do so involving them, making this this sort of seem like a normal thing as opposed to a medical thing is really important. And you know what, Stu? Yeah. It's I also take an opportunity, especially, I mean, you know, with both, but especially with the little girls, of reminding them like what's the very first thing we do? We ask mom if we can touch her body because you want to always have consent. So, you know, you just teach that they're learning what's, what should be normal and how they're going to ask to be treated when they go for their first pap smear or when they're first pregnant. Um, so the, 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 the education goes deep, you know? Totally. 
And involving the partner is really important. I, I found that that was a really big part of my prenatal visits because I'm a guy. I tended to connect with the guys uh, and, made, and made them feel very comfortable. Um, talked about you know saying the same things over and over again in the earlier visits and talking about nutrition. There's really something good about repetition because that's how we learn and that's how it becomes habitual. They come in and they already they'll start writing down what they ate yesterday and maybe they'll even eat a little healthier yesterday because they know they got to tell you because <laughs> they have a little bit of a feeling of uh, being judged, even though that's not the point you're making. That's the, that's how they take it. And so they need to get over that because we're there to help them not to, to, to judge them on their body shape or their eating habits or their exercise habits. We're there to try to guide them in a way, but we're going to make do with whatever habits they have we're going yeah. we're yeah we're going to uh, oh did you notice you guys that i don't i never said i weigh my clients correct so that's not something that i feel is necessary i think it might be good to have a weight and you know people put in their pre-pregnancy weight or where they are when they come into care um i think it's probably good to have some sort of weight if you do need to transport in um, because they ask those kinds of things and they'll, they'll make your pregnant mom go weigh herself if you don't have one <laughs> because of meds and stuff like that. Um, but for, for the purpose of making sure that your client is, is healthy, it's about how they're eating, how they're taking care of themselves and how the baby's growing. That's the most important thing. It's not how much weight the mom has gained, but from a midwifery perspective, we say one pound a week, which would be about 40 pounds in a pregnancy is completely normal. And it's a bell-shaped curve. Ah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. And then the other thing you can do when you have an hour's worth of time is you can dispel a lot of myths. Mm -hmm. You have time to do that. You have time to answer questions. You have to time to say, did you see that thing in the news where this happened? I'm sure you saw that. Let's talk about that for a little bit or whatever. If, or they say, you know, I, I, I heard a story. They could say, I heard a story. My girlfriend said this or my girlfriend's doctor said this. When you When you don't have much time, you can't get into that. But in your right. model, the midwifery model, you can. Yeah. And then and you can either dispel myths, and sometimes they're not myths, sometimes they're facts. And you can define myth or de, uh, you can define myth from fact. Um, right. and have and have the time to do it. And as I said before, it it became actually very easy to fill an hour. Uh, but the transition of going from that OB, that medicalized OB coming out of residency to being the one I was, you know, when I, in the last few years of my home birth practice, it, it took years to do that. Yeah. Um, and it took listening, it took listening to the women and listening to my fellow midwives um, as to how to re-educate myself. Because unfortunately, the medical, the medical model does not put a high priority on preventative care and nutrition when it comes to pregnancy. And they don't do They don't talk anything about postpartum care or hardly anything. And, or about uh, lactation and breastfeeding are also the minimally involved in as your obstetrician. You almost get more care about your breasts from the from the lactation consultant in your pediatrician's office than you actually get from your OB, and that necessarily isn't a very good source of that either, um, because you don't see them very often either. So thanks, Bliss. That was really really informative. Oh, good. Oh, good. I mean, you know, I could obviously talk about this all day because this is what I do. So I'm glad. Um, and uh, we are going to um, end in a second and jump over to Patreon for our additional content. And we're going to bring on um, 
my friend Tanya Walker and um, talk about a recent birth that she had where the baby was transverse and the arm came out. Um, and so um, I thought that would be an interesting conversation. So if that's interesting to you, make sure and join us over there. And how do they join us over there? Um, go to birthinginstinctspodcast.com and you can get information on how to join our Patreon. Um, so check it out if you haven't already. There's lots of great um, bonus content and um, you can see us live. You don't have to just listen to us if you think that would be fun and all kinds of other perks. So go check it out. So support our sponsors and you can also support us by by checking out our merchandise. Um, I've heard that the sweatshirts are really soft and fuzzy. So that's really kind of cool. And uh, until um, next week, then for this part of the show, we'll say. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 